extend my welcome to you. It's good to see you today. Uh, great to be able to worship with you. Uh, I've already been blessed by our time in hearing God's Word. <clears throat> hearing God's Word read and sung and uh, grateful to be able to be with you um, today. If you have your Bibles, if you will, turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 12. I was reminded uh, that there is an emphasis already been made from the text, from the things that we have uh, been able to sing this morning about the significance and importance of the nations. And we are a nation, the United States, we are a nation that will be represented and uh, before uh, the throne of God. We are of a particular tongue. Uh, most of us here speak the English language, but uh, we have uh, one uh, in our midst that uh, grew up speaking another language, and that tongue uh, will be represented there uh, before the throne of God, as will all the tongues of all the nations of all the times will be represented before the throne of God. I hope we can begin to get a picture of that. Uh, I hope that we will sense that and see the, the grace of God in that and in that understand and gain a greater appreciation for the nations that even as we pray for the people of Ghana, we are praying for a nation of people some of the people that are living during this time that we know uh, that represent over a hundred different languages in the world and there would be a hundred different groups of people coming from that nation that are represented uh, before the throne of God praising Him uh, and declaring His praise and honoring Him. Uh, and thus is the thrust of our heart for missions as we continue to give attention to those groups of people that we are in contact with and also representing that the other churches from around the world, not just the United States, because we have folks who are sending missionaries here. Why? Because there are people here who are lost. And so we are as believers going in different places uh, to see uh, the glory of God proclaimed in the message of the gospel. Hopefully by now we are beginning to understand the seriousness of the matter that we have been giving attention to for the last 22 weeks. This is the 23rd week, by the way. There is one to whom we can, and we have been arguing all along that even we must turn to. This one is the source of all of life and the only hope for eternal life. We've heard he is no angel, he's no good man, and his way is not a body of written material that offer helpful suggestions that tend toward a better life. He doesn't promise prosperity, he doesn't promise acceptance and success as the world understands it. If we're looking to Him for those things, we are looking in the wrong direction. We will find what the world can give in the world. We will not find what the world gives in Him. 
But we will not find what he gives by looking into the world because the world cannot and will not give what he can give. Only he can. He's a brother, a friend, an advocate, a great high priest. He is the God-man. He is Christ Jesus. He was supernaturally conceived, naturally birthed, normally grew from infancy to adulthood. He was tempted in every way like every man and woman before him and since him. And his record still stands. It has and will forever stand and remain untarnished. He is and was without sin. And in spite of his righteousness, his goodness, perfection, love, kindness, grace, wisdom, and frequent attestations of his divine power, he was rejected by those who should have loved him most. And in their rejection and hatred of him, they plotted to wrongly accuse him. Have him arrested, convicted, and executed. And they carried out their plan with precision. He was crucified. And as he promised, the grave did not, could not hold him. And on the third day, by the power of God, he exited the tomb alive. Visiting with and making himself known to at least 500 people. Approximately a month and a half after this, he left the earth to which he had come and he visibly ascended into heaven as he promised he would, leaving behind a handful, in relation to the world's population, a handful of trusted followers. And these are some of the first words of one of the leaders of his band of followers. And these words were stated publicly. Hear them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Did you hear it? Two things going on. By the plan and foreknowledge of God. Through the actions of sinful men. And where are we? If we trust Him, we will have eternal life. If we do not trust Him, and we do not place our faith in Him, we will not have eternal life. We will perish and experience the wrath of God for all eternity. It's that simple. It's that plain. It's that serious. He is that serious. And as we said last week, this is no light matter. Life and death lays in the balance when we come to Christ. He is either someone that we look at and trust, or He's someone that we look at and we don't trust, and we have heard what faith is. We have seen and heard examples of what faith is through Scripture, and we landed last week that 
Faith in Christ is costly. It's never easy to be a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ, you know what I'm talking about. And if it has been easy for you, I would even begin to question if in fact you are a follower of Christ. Because nothing in Scripture points to the fact that following Jesus is easy. And if you are here today and you have not trusted Him, understand that to trust Him means that it will necessarily be hard. For those of you who have read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you'll recall this scene. And I do, I remember it well. It's the scene that at the very beginning of the book where Pliable and Pilgrim leave the city of destruction. And they haven't gone very far, but they end up in the slough of despond. And they're there in this dreadful, muddy predicament, and they're sinking in further and further. It's like quicksand. And they're just sinking in, and it's taking them. And Pliable, if you recall, makes this statement to Pilgrim. He says, is this the kind of thing you promised me? In other words, is this the life that you promised me when I set out for you to the celestial city? Is this what it means to have God as your father? I'm getting out of here. And I'm getting out on the side of this slough that is closest to my home. And you know what he did? That's exactly what he did. He was able to crawl himself out. Pull himself out. And when he got out on the other side, on the side that was closest to his home, home he went. Home he went. And Bunyan got out on the other side and he continued on to the city of God, to the celestial city. What's being said there? Well, being a follower of Christ is not an easy thing. Being a follower of Christ is a hard and difficult thing. And yes, we want to be honest with you today. In trusting Christ, we should expect life to be hard. Do we try to make life hard if for some reason that God in His mercy and grace is lightening the load for us for a season? Absolutely not. But be assured of this, that if we are faithfully plodding along in this life, we will have struggles and hardships. Everyone who has faithfully followed Christ before us has, and we will, and all of those coming afterwards will. Which is why we have been giving our attention to what the preacher had to say in Hebrews. A couple of reasons. One, for sure, we need to be reminded that this is exactly what life is and that we are called that in the midst of this, there is this word of encouragement that continues to come from the Holy Spirit that says, continue on, persevere. Your soul is what is hanging in the balance. We'll see again today that your soul is what hanging in the balance. Our souls are at stake in the course of this life. 
And I think it's helpful for us as well because we, many of us, have lived the majority of our lives with little resistance connected with what it means to follow Christ. And we have become accustomed to that and we believe that this is what the Christian life is about. That we are having our best life now. That we are having our riches and our wealth now. That we are having our pleasures that we want now. That we are having everything that we want in life now that brings us joy and happiness all centered around things, and somehow we have equated this with this is what it means to follow Christ, and yet nothing in Scripture bears that out. And it tells us one of two things. Either God has been merciful to us during the course of this time, and I think in some cases that is true, or we are not following Christ, but in fact, we are serving ourselves and making our way through life, not looking to Him, but looking to everything else. When I say that, I'm saying that to a people that have experienced a lot of good things. I'm looking back at me and realizing this about myself. The author of Hebrews has something to say about it. Let's look in verse 4 of chapter 12. Before we read that, back up chapter 10. This sets the stage for what we're going to read. Look, if you will, in verse 35 of chapter 10. We hear this exhortation coming, okay? The exhortation says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, meaning do not throw away the confidence in Jesus Christ. Do not throw away what He has done. Do not throw away all that we sang about just a moment ago, that we are complete in Him because we have been justified in Him. We are sanctified by Him. We will be glorified by and through His work and His work alone, the atoning work of the great high priest who offered Himself, as we have already seen, has offered himself as that sacrifice that only sacrifice that purchases our life and that brings forgiveness and brings to bear the ability to be reconciled to God said so don't throw this away don't throw this away you throw this away and you've thrown everything away you have no hope he said don't throw this away which has a great reward and he goes on to say, for you have need of endurance. Why? Because you need to endure to the end. And it already in talking about endurance means that there is going to be resistance to this. There is hardship. There's difficulty. There's resistance. So you endure so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Then look in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay? Then in chapter 11, we hear this wide sweeping testimony of those who have gone before, who have shown us what it is to look ahead, as we said even last week, to look ahead to a promise that would not be obtained and fulfilled here, but lived in light of that promise as if they could see it 
putting all their hope, all their stock, all their faith, all their energy, and looking ahead to this thing. And then in chapter 12 last week, we picked up, in verse 39 of chapter 11, we hear, and all of these, though commended through their faith. And I was reminded just a moment ago when we sang that we are not under condemnation, but we are commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be perfect or perfected. And the part of that was, and we saw, I'm just reminding you last week, it has to do with that we all have to be brought. In other words, all of this has to be made complete down to the last of the elect, the last one to trust in Christ for us to be able to be brought into the presence of God so that we will receive this promise so that they will receive this promise. And then in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, and this where we said that this thing of following Christ is a hard thing. And in verse 4, we concluded there last week, but we're picking up there again this week. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Coming from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Will you pray with me? Father, will you help us in the next few moments to
to gain with absolute clarity and understanding of your goodness toward us in hardship and in difficulty and suffering and in discipline. Will you change our mind about our living here? Would you change our expectations? Would you change our ambitions? Would you change our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. The text is clear. We have not yet struggled in our resistance and fight against sin to the point of shedding blood. We said last week, what we are hearing is, is that it has not become that difficult and hard for us. In other words, they were not yet at a point to where they had given their blood and given their lives in their struggle against sin. That was by the grace of God. Today, we are here, we are alive, and we have not yet struggled with sin in our lives, and we have not yet struggled with the resistance to what it is to be a believer and a follower of Christ to the point that our lives have been taken. That is a mercy of God. But it does not let us, so to speak, off the hook. We should not become presumptuous about the direction of following Christ. We shouldn't become presumptuous about what we should expect and shouldn't expect. Now, I believe that for the most part of us, most part, we've come in here today and life has been relatively easy for us in a lot of ways as it has pertained to us following Christ. Now granted, we have along the way individually struggled with temptation and sin in our life, some more than others. Some have struggled because you have been tempted in ways that are greater seemingly than others. Some have struggled uh, more because they have fought against it where maybe others of us have not resisted quite so heavily and we have given in to it. But the point is, is that at the end, we should recognize that if we are serious about following Christ, it will mean that we will push back and resist and struggle and fight sin in our life and fight sin around us. We have it coming at us from all angles as believers. We have it coming to us from every direction in life. And as a believer, we are called on to resist. Why? For the sake of our souls. Why? For our holiness. Why? Because God is holy. And we recognize that. But the author of Hebrews is coming and saying, but we need to understand that we have not yet struggled against this sin at a point of shedding our blood. And then he reminds us of something else. He reminds us that some of that has to do with the mercy of God in the course of this. But there is a part of this that we need to recognize that there still is the expectation for us to push against it. And God 
helps us in this process. In other words, the Spirit of God working in us enables us to resist and to push against sin. How does he do that? Well, notice in verse 5 what he says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now, already we are being addressed as what? Children of God. Children of God. This past week we were in a setting in a group of people and we were talking about uh, a particular topic and we were talking about a particular passage of Scripture. And uh, it is uh, not uncommon language for some uh, to talk about people, all people being children of God. And yet when we go to John's Gospel, we hear again that all people are not children of God. Only those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ are sons and daughters of God, children of God. The author of Hebrews is reminding those who are believers here, understand that there are things that God, God grants you as His children that others are not granted. And notice what it is. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And now he's saying sons, children. And it's not, it's not qualifying just males here. He's talking about the children of God. Sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord does what? He disciplines the one he loves. Now the question that I had when I was working through this text and I sent it out to several folks and everybody sent word back, I don't know. I said, what's the relationship between suffering, resisting temptation, God's discipline, and his glory? What is that relationship? And I got different comments, but I had one who just said, you know, I really don't know how all of it ties together. I'm not certain that I do, but I think somehow we have to make sense of this text in the midst of the context of Hebrews. What do we know about Hebrews? Well, we noted it was written to a group of people, a church, professing believers who were in the midst of, of, of persecution. We know that they have per been persecuted some because look back over um, at chapter 10, verse 28. He says, but recall the former days when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So we know that they have suffered some hard and sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, and yet they continue to have compassion on those. They continue to love them. So we know that they have faced persecution. We know that the likelihood and the probability of them facing more persecution is before them, and the author is reminding them of this and understands that in the course of this, that they can become weary and tired and do what Pliable did and say, let me crawl out of this mess, if this is what it is, to follow God, let me get out of it, I'm going home. And we have already talked about folks that we know, and we have recalled folks that we know that have done that very thing. That is the context, where does discipline come to play in this? As sons, well, 
One, it comes to play that as we give consideration to the discipline of the Lord, we know that He is disciplining us because He loves us. So what is coming to us is coming to us from God, and it's coming to us because He loves us, and there is another purpose, there is an extension of the purpose of the love of God in that. Look down, if you will, in uh, verse, yeah, verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, talking about earthly fathers, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So God loves us, desires us to share in his holiness, and there is a reason for that, if you read on, is because without this holiness, if you'll look in verse 14, without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we know that we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ. We've already talked about that as we've looked in Hebrews. We have been imputed the righteousness of Christ, and in the indwelling of the Spirit of God in us, the gift that we have been given that seals the promise, there begins this work of sanctification in us. In other words, where we begin to look like what we have been called. We have been, we're beginning to look that way. There is a work and a change toward that end that our lives begin to look more holy as we are sanctified and it is this work of sanctification that is pleasing to God and it is his presence in us working this out in us that makes it possible for us to be accepted by God because it is a reflection of the work that he has done in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does that work come about? And that is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. It comes about because God brings into our lives those things disciplining us. Let's talk about that word for just a moment. There's sometimes when we talk about discipline, we are talking about what? We're talking about disciplining someone for corrective measures because they are being punished for something. But all discipline is not for punishment for that which is wrong. Brian Smith loves to run. I've, we're talking about running and endurance. Brian Smith loves to run. We have some in here that love the bike and do other things. Is running a punishment to you? Oh, you choose to get up and run. And if you decide that you want to run a half a marathon, what do you do? You discipline your body, you discipline your mind, and you discipline your body, and you discipline yourself. You train for what it is that you are going after. That's what discipline does. It is a process of training. Well, we recognize here that fathers discipline their children. All the discipline that takes place at a home between the mothers and fathers toward the children is not punishment for what they've done wrong. It is a process of training them for life. Training them in areas that 
you know because you love them and because you know what is before them and you know what life is. It is the process of training them to be prepared for those very things. In other words, it is driven from the parent out of love because he or she and he and she, mother and father, knowing what is best and as much as they know with our limited wisdom, know what is coming, we discipline them to train them, to teach them these things that are necessary for them for life. And that is exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. Is discipline easy? No. Is it pleasant? Not at all. Not at all. Discipline is not a pleasant thing. But discipline does provide for and prepares one for receiving what is good and what is best. We see that. Look in verse 14 again. 13 says, Lift, therefore lift your drooping hands. Verse 12, Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed and strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is where we're going. That is what we're looking toward, our time with Him. That is our promise. He is he is our promise. Being with Him is our promise. Being in His presence is our promise. Being in His presence is what He has promised us. And we have been rehearsing that. Why stress that here? Is because holiness is at the very heart of who God is. And He is working in us to bring about holiness in us and the training process the disciplining is hard. That's why hardships and difficulties and struggles are coming. And here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Look, you're facing these persecutions. You're facing the hardships that's coming along with them. And you're facing the temptation to turn back. Understand that all of this is being directed to you by the hand of God for your training toward holiness so that you can endure to the end. How do we know that? Well, look in verse 7. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Why? Because God is treating you as sons. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Parents, you will relate to this. If you did not discipline your children, and for all of us have been children, some of us are children now, if we were not receiving any discipline, in other words, if we were to just be let go to do what we want to do, the way that we want to do it, without any training for life, would that be loving? No, it wouldn't be loving. Now, is our disciplining at times off because of our own fallenness? The answer to that is yes. But no discipline at all is unloving. Why? Because it's setting someone on a course to be unprepared and unequipped to be able to receive and enjoy what discipline brings, what training brings. God loves us, and it says and it is for that discipline in our understanding that He is treating us as sons. 
how do we respond to discipline? How do we respond to discipline? Well, there's several ways that we can respond to discipline. Here's the part that I want, to, I want us to see. Look in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, it's clear in this text that there are those who benefit from discipline and there are those who don't benefit from discipline. That's not to say that the discipline is not loving. It's not to say that the discipline shouldn't come. The point is, is the response to the discipline, the one who is trained by it. What's the author of Hebrews saying? said, in the course of your lives, in the midst of this time, in the midst of this season, for the rest of your lives, all the way to the end, you are going to deal with these things. Persevere. Continue through. And one of the ways that we continue through is to recognize that even all of those hard things are coming from God for the purpose of, of bringing about holiness in us so that we begin to see all of those things are loving acts of God even when they're hard. Loving acts of God even when they're difficult. Loving acts of God even when it seems like they could crush us. Which Solomon wrote, nor be weary when reproved by him in other words don't be crushed when you are under the discipline of God understand don't become bewildered don't come to a place to where you would turn your back on God in the midst of that he's bringing these things because he loves you he's training you he's protecting you he's preparing you he is persevering you. He is preserving you. So when something hard is coming into the course of our life, it is protecting us from something or a direction that we may have gone had this thing not come about in the course of our life. It's when sickness and hardship comes. It is coming and it brings to us, a realization that we are dependent upon God brings to us a realization that our life and our value doesn't rest in our health. Our life and our value doesn't rest in our wealth. Our life and our value doesn't rest in relationships. But our life and our value rest in the relationship that God is our Father and trains us and disciplines us and teaches us to the end that we would become holy, that we would experience His grace. Notice what it says in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. 
Now, embedded in this grace of God is the grace of God towards salvation. But here, he's talking to believers, and it's not, this isn't an evangelistic statement. See to it that no one doesn't, that that everyone obtains the grace of God, or that no one misses the grace of God. He's talking about, see to it that everyone sees and understands the work of God here, and obtains the grace of God in holiness, Which is why we have been encouraging each other and encourage each other now to continue to the end because I don't want you to miss the grace of God. I don't, I hope you don't want me to miss the grace of God in continuing and persevering to the end. And that's what the author of Hebrews is pointing to. That's what he's trying to help us to see. So how do we deal with this? Well, with discipline, we either see the hardship and difficulty and challenges that come in the course of life and we see them and we despise them. We hate them. We don't want them in our lives. We reject them. We turn away from God. We think that God is out to get us or we just just believe that God's not in it at all. That He has nothing to do with it. We can become embittered and hard toward God because of the discipline and hardship that comes in the course of our life. Or we can see it as being good and helpful and we can receive it as hard as it may be. We can receive it knowing that ultimately it is God's good work in us and that it is working in us to bring about His holiness in us so that we share in His holiness. I'd ask you today, I've had to ask myself, do I really want to share in the holiness of God? Or would I rather enjoy pleasures of this world now? Do I want to give my life to the things that this world can give me? Or do I want to share in the holiness of God? Do I want the sin in me rooted out? I pulled out some bushes Thursday afternoon at my house. Part of them, I was tired of the bushes. The bigger part of it was Janice wanted them out. Let me, let me state that. Janice wanted them out. So I got on board. And after a while, you know, you promise things. You promise your wife something for so long. And then after a while, you just have to do it. And so it got to the point in time Thursday afternoon, it just had to be done. But there were also roots and vines in these bushes. And I knew that. And I tried to get them out. And I never could get them out. You just have to root and tear them out. But I knew that the only way I was going to get rid of the vines was to get rid of the, get rid of the bushes as well. So I got in there and I took the shovel and the axe and I began to cut and I began to pull these azaleas. They were about this high and they were big. And then some other, some other uh, pittosporms that were about this high And they were big and the stumps were like this. And I got in there and I pulled them and I rooted them out. That kind of stuff is painful. It was painful to me in taking them out. But what I mean is, is that 
tearing something out is hard and it is painful. It's no easy task. And I know if those roots could have been talking whenever I was chopping away at them with the axe and hitting them with the shovel when I was twisting and pulling and yanking, if the roots could have talked, they would have been saying, this hurts, this hurts, this is hard. Well, tearing sin out of our lives is the same way. And God uses this process of hardship and difficulty to get it out in the same way that you as parents practice discipline in your home to teach the hard things and the hard lessons so that in the end, that one that you love and care about is being trained for their good. Notice verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Remember, Paul put this into terms of a race. Back up in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're talking about a race. Now you take that idea in mind and you transfer it back down here to verse 12. You're in a race. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. All of those are necessary for continuing to the end of a race. We were recalling back here just a, a, a few days ago, and I may have even mentioned it, uh, Mark Kramer and, and Marcus King and I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. Was that in 12 or 14? Somewhere 12, 13, or 14. We ran the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C. And just, we were all just novice runners, but, so we were running it. As anyone running a marathon, you're ready to see the end. Your knees are hurting. Your joints are hurting. It was cold. I was numb. My mind was numb. I just wanted to see the finish line. And normally in those races, uh, half a mile or so before you get to the finish line, there'll be a sign that says the finish line. And it gets your hopes up. And it's really not as close as you think it is, but it helps you just continue. Well, I don't know the course of that race. I'd only run it one time. But I do know that when I got to the last quarter mile, it was the finish line was there, but it was a hill that was about like this. And then there was a dog leg to the right, so I couldn't see the finish line. And that incline continued to the end. And I want to tell you, I wanted to get to the end, but I was disheartened. I thought I was going to be able to coast in to the end, but that wasn't the way that it was. When I got there, I had to climb that hill, and I just wasn't sure that I could make it. I wasn't sure that I had it in me to push up that hill. And then when I got to the dog leg, I was thinking, well, for sure, after this climb, the finish line is right there. 
But then when I turned that dog leg to the right, that finish line was still a good distance away. There is this race and then there is pushing and your arms are weary, your knees are weak, and you want to make sure that there are no obstacles in the way. Why make mention of that? Well, the author of Hebrews here is telling us, pointing us to the fact that it is in light of the fact that God has in His love worked in us to prepare us and discipline us and train us that we should pick up our weary arms and take that next step and continue to the end. Why? Because He tells us that if we don't continue, if we don't continue, and in this continuing, strive for peace, and holiness, then we will not see the Lord. And we won't make it to the end. Now, I want to ask you this, and this is what I am afraid of in our culture, and I've shared this, but I want to share it again. I think that our gospel of easy believism and our approach to what we think it is to follow Christ has duped us into and we have been duped into a false gospel. And the fear is, is that most of the people that we know today who profess Christ and are followers of Christ, they are giving no attention to the holiness in their lives. They're giving no attention to the desire for the things of God. They don't care about God now. Why would they even care about God in eternity. What we want now as God trains us is His holiness and sharing in His holiness so that we can be in His presence. That should be in the forefront of our minds and our lives and our hearts. And if that's what we want now, the author of Hebrews is telling us, then we will continue to the end and that's what we will receive. But if that is not what we want, Because we have not connected what it means to follow Christ and have faith in Him. And if our lives are given in attention to only the things of this world, then we are going to cave in as Mr. Pliable. And we'll go home instead of moving ahead into the presence of God. I want to close in looking at this list of things. I find them important because they are tied to relationship and we have already couched this in the context of our relationship with God. He is our Father. and We are His children. He loves us. We should long to submit to Him. We should look at Him and all that comes in our life and understand that everything that comes to us comes by way of Him and His loving hand, and no matter how hard and difficult that it is right now, it is for our good and for our holiness and our sanctification, all because He is preparing us, helping us to get to the end, to be with Him. In other words, to bring His children to Himself. And notice what He says. As this turns, we begin to look at our relationships not just with Him, but with each other. Strive for peace with everyone.
Now find these interesting. Listen to them. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Using Esau here. Using Esau here as an example. What did Esau do? He forfeited his birthright. Why? It was of no value to him. He was more concerned about the moment, having his need met now, and his pleasure now. He wanted his fun now. He wanted what he wanted now. He wanted to live for today. He wanted his life to be centered about him now without respect to the birthright. Isn't that the way most of us at times and most of the people that we know in their relationship with God, isn't that the way they approach their life? Without regard for God. Without regard for the value of Christ. Without regard for holiness. Without regard for righteousness. Without regard for giving of themselves. But they are about now. And notice what is said. So he sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. I don't have a... I don't, I don't have a... We don't, have a, we don't have a TV show about that. I have read that text over and over and over again. And this is what I see. I see a realization when I'm reading that. I see a realization when it comes to him of now it's time for him to receive his birthright and to receive the blessing. His daddy's getting ready to give it to him and he knows it. And now he's all about it, but he's all about it for himself. He's not all about him for the responsibility that comes with it. He's all about it for himself. But then when he hears, when he hears Isaac say, I have nothing else to give. I've given it away. I've given it away. In my mind, I see this, this wash of bewilderment come over him. And the reality of what he has done is set in. And he can't change it. And there's nothing that he can say or do that will make any difference at that point. I don't think that I am making a wrong connection here I can imagine those 
when they realize the reality of what is before them in eternity, the remembrance of having heard the truth and having turned away from the grace of God. I know that there are those who say they would never do that because they're getting exactly what they wanted. Well, Esau got exactly what he wanted. But in the end, he realized that he had sold everything for what he had in that moment. What's the point here? The author of Hebrews is trying to help us to understand the seriousness of what it is to embrace Christ and to follow Him. Because notice what he says, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The point is, is for us not to waste the opportunities that we have. What have we heard today? I hope you recall today that hardship and difficulty in life and following Jesus is to be expected. And if you're not experiencing it, you will. And if you never experience it, then in all likelihood in the course of that, you have given way to the world and you're going to deal with sickness and death and those kinds of things. But it's not going to be associated with your faith. The second thing that I hope you hear, if you're a believer, that we should expect hardship and difficulty and resistance to our faith because we are constantly resisting sin. Pushing away sin. Pushing against sin. Pushing against the effects of sin. And that we will have, there will be resistance because there's this constant wall pushing in on us and we are pushing back and resisting. And in the course of that, it does change things in our life. And in that, God is providentially working, pushing against us because as that stuff pushes against us, it is rooting out that which is within us that would cause us to reject Him and what happens is it pushes this stuff out of us so that we long for Him and His holiness. His discipline is directing us toward sharing in His holiness. It's a good thing. We should embrace that as believers and be grateful for it and see it and recognize it for what it is. It is the hand of a loving Father. And I hope you hear today, I hope you hear that through the course of this, it is the means to our enduring to the end. Please get this. This is a real thing. We will not as believers coast to the end. If you are a believer, you're not going to coast to the end. We will not coast to the end. 
we will have to be serious and will be serious as believers about God and who He is and His kingdom and His kingdom's work. There is no coasting to the end. There is no stopping if we are going to make it to the end. There is none. Please hear that. And know that God in His love and mercy toward us is working in us to take us there to the end. Don't reject Him. Don't turn away from Him. Don't sell out for anything but Him. Please. Let's pray. Father, please awaken our minds and our hearts to the seriousness of following You and persevering to the end. Father, make it hard on us if that's what is necessary. Whatever it takes, Father, to transform us, our thinking and our living, to transform our motives, to transform our desires. Please do it. Please. In Christ's name, amen.